Alright guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Tubes Podcast. I am your host, Blake Lovell. It is Thursday, June the 22nd, 2017, and this is part two of this week's mailbag. As yesterday, we answered uh, several questions uh, of yours on the SEC basketball landscape heading into this season, and there were so many ones that, that were sent in that I decided to split it into two. So this is part two, and we will have several more questions coming your way uh, for this episode and thanks to you for continuing to support the southeast hoops podcast appreciate all the listens thus far as we've got this thing kicked off this week and your your response your feedback has been great so always appreciate that and let's go ahead and get started with the first question in today's mailbag and that is from at au goldfinger on twitter always a good discussion with him great interaction always appreciate it and his question has to do with something that, you know, obviously is going to be talked about quite a bit as we go throughout the summer, head into the season, as people start to form expectations on what to expect this upcoming year for these programs and then into the future with these programs, kind of who is going to be at the helm. And he asks, uh, you know, since it's summer, who are some coaches that are on the hot seat? Well, Let's start with what I think is going to be one you're going to hear about a lot, and this will be no surprise since it's one a lot of people brought up last year. I didn't think he was on the hot seat necessarily last year, uh, but I thought it could be an interesting year without a doubt, and that was Mark Fox at Georgia. Uh, Before the season started, I thought if they didn't make the NCAA tournament, the discussions could get interesting. Uh, As it turned out, you know, they didn't make the NCAA tournament, but... Yontay Maton's late season injury, you know, had a little bit to do with that. There were still some inconsistencies with Georgia throughout the year that you probably didn't want to see if you were a Bulldog fan. But uh, he's going to be talked about, I think, by most members of the media. They're going to continue to bring up, you know, what the situation is, what does the future hold. Getting Yontay Maton back, uh, a huge deal. I mean, let's be honest. If you lose both J.J. Frazier and Yontay Maton in the same offseason, you're you're not going to have a great year the following year. And, you know, it's still going to be a battle for Georgia to put themselves in that top half, in the top tier of the SEC, just because losing a player like Frazier is someone who kind of created all their offense, did so many great things on both ends of the floor and the way he could affect the game uh, with his speed, his, his versatility. Uh, but having Maton back, someone who, as I've said already, is probably going to be my preseason player of the year in the SEC, that's a good good place player to have on your team. That's a good starting point. Uh, when you look at Fox's resume there at Georgia, two NCAA tournament appearances in eight seasons thus far. Um, you know they've won twenty or more games four times. Uh, you know lost. You know won less than twenty or more less than twenty games um, four times as well. So you know it's interesting. They've made three NITs to go along with that, and I think he's one that. You know, you're going to hear a lot of media people talk about, and it's just a matter of what does Georgia kind of view as, you know, the ceiling for the program, where do they think this program needs to be, and, you know, it just depends. We'll see what happens. The league is getting a lot better, and it's going to be something to watch in terms of how Georgia adjusts to that with the loss of Frazier, but getting Mayton back 
and having some some good young talent in there as well, uh, along with the returning players, they're going to be like other teams. You're just going to look at it and say, hey, can they take a next step forward? Um, and that's kind of probably going to determine where you hear most of the talk surrounding Mark Fox going throughout the season, you know, positive, negative, whatever. So, um, honestly, right now, to me, I mean, that's the only name that, that kind of stands out is one that people are going to bring up. Uh, you know, there are a couple of guys that I think people might lean towards bringing up that I just simply don't believe are on the hot seat. And the first one would be Andy Kennedy at Ole Miss. Uh, you know, I don't, I just don't think that's the case. Uh, to me, that's a silly thought right now in terms of, you know, I know what the expectations are for some people and know how long he's been there. Um, but, you know, he still has three years remaining on his current contract. Ole Miss decided not to extend his contract after the season, which, you know, he still has three years left. So uh, you look at his overall body of work. They've made it to the NCAA tournament twice in his uh, 12 seasons there. So it's just, you know, they've made a lot of, they've had a lot of postseason appearances. They're not all NCAA tournament. Uh, he's won, you know, 20 or more games in all but two seasons there. So I just don't think, you know, if you're old Miss, you're just going to cut ties all of a sudden and say, hey, you know, we're going in a different direction this year. And, and Ole Miss is another intriguing team coming into the year. Um, you know, they get DeAndre Burnett back. They get uh, Markel Crawford from Memphis, the nice transfer. They're going to have Terrence Davis there as well. Uh, they have a pretty good nucleus. Losing Sebastian Saiz as a player on the inside, they're going to have to make up that production, but they have some nice big men. They're going to get some guys on the court that have had to sit out due to transfer. Uh, so Ole Miss is another intriguing team, and I don't think you need to put you know Andy Kennedy anywhere near that discussion right this second. I uh, just don't believe that's the case. And then another one that I've seen on Twitter already this offseason, and, and it's just it's laughable at this point for people to actually believe this because there have been a couple of national writers that have kind of discussed this and said that they believe this to be the case and that Bruce Pearl is on the hot seat at Auburn. It's simply not the case. Um, he is not on the hot seat, not at all. Um, I realize people thought that, you know, maybe Auburn would have things progressed a little bit quicker, and he himself even said that, thought they would be further along. But when you look at the overall body of work uh, this past season, their second highest win total, um, you know, since 2003. So are we really going to say that Auburn is going to get rid of him if he doesn't, you know, win 25 games this year? Absolutely not. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I've talked about Auburn many times at this point. Auburn is a team that's going to have an opportunity to make an NCAA tournament uh, when we continue to see the growth of this team. Once they get more you know, consistency on defense, this team is going to be tough to handle. And so I don't keep his name out of the discussion for all the national people out there that have kind of mentioned it and, and for other people who just simply aren't informed as to the situation there, trying to look from the outside. It's, it's not the case. So... Uh, yeah, so that would be it just on the, the hot seat discussion uh, for right now. The SEC is in great shape from a coaching standpoint from top to bottom, maybe as strong as the league has ever been just in terms of all these coaches in place around the conference. So thanks to uh, you, Mr. AU Goldfinger, as always, for the questions. And let's go ahead and move on to the next question. And your next question was about a dark horse NCAA tournament team. Uh, once someone asked me that question in yesterday's episode, if you want to check back, listen to that one, um, asked about the dark horse in the SEC. I said Mississippi State. Um, you know, in terms of dark horse NCAA, I th- sort of along the same lines, I think. Mississippi State's a team I would keep my eye on. 
uh, among you know several other teams you could probably throw in the mix. But I would go with Mississippi State right now just because I think a lot of people are going to overlook them based on the Mario Kegler transfer. And, and you know it's taking a chance and picking them as a dark horse because you don't know how they're going to evolve. But when I look back at last season, I, I think they have some opportunity there this year as long as those big guys progress. So, All right, moving on to the next question. It comes from Brandon Guy. He's on Twitter at BGuy4586. Brandon asks about the SEC All-Freshman team, which is always a, a team that is loaded um, with lots and lots of talent. And I think that... You know, it's there's a lot of possibilities there. So Brandon asked about the predictions for that team. Who will win freshman player of the year? If we talk about starting with the all-freshman team, you know, uh, to me, you have to start with Kentucky because you know there are going to be two or three players from Kentucky that are going to wind up on there. Which two or three, you don't really know at this point. But it's a pretty safe bet that you're going to see two or three guys from Kentucky on that list, uh, which makes sense because their roster is built with freshmen. So, um, and they're a top 10 team. So so they're going to be on that list. Uh, next place you have to go to, obviously, is Michael Porter Jr. I think it would be you know a huge surprise if he's not on there at the end of the year uh, just because he's going to really transform that Missouri program and have a big impact right away. And then the next place I would look to would be Colin Sexton in Alabama. He's going to have a similar effect uh, on that Alabama program just because you know he's got a chance to take Alabama from being a good team last year to being a great team this year. And he, he should have the numbers and really have a lot of opportunity there. And then, honestly, beyond those, you know, that group right there, which could be a group of five, uh, if you t- factor in three guys from Kentucky, th- there's a lot of ways you could go, to be honest with you. I just think that, you know, I, there's just there's so many good young players around this league. And when you look around the country, there is not another conference in the country that has this many you know, top 100 type players. It's just the SEC is leading the way and getting these top players right now. And and that's why we're seeing kind of the evolution of the SEC and, and helping take a step forward is with all of these young talents. And so after after that, there is so many ways you could go. Uh, there are programs all over the, the conference that, that have so many good young players and there are four-star guys, five-star guys coming in that are going to have an impact right away. So uh, that's tough to continue rounding out that team, but let's just say there there's going to be no shortage of options uh, this year in the SEC. So, uh, and then for freshman player of the year, you know, uh, easy bet. Like I said earlier, it's probably on a Kentucky player just based on their ceiling as a program, as a team. Um, th- there's going to be someone there that's going to have a huge impact, whether that's Diallo, whether that's Kevin Knox. Uh, you don't know. Those are probably the two easy choices, I would say in terms of which one of those guys are going to have the biggest impact on that Kentucky team. But, you know, you could also look around at guys like Porter Jr. at Sexton who could potentially have their teams, you know, in a good spot. I don't think Missouri's going to challenge for the SEC crown, but, you know, I think there are, there are a lot of a lot of different ways in terms of figuring out who could be player of the year. But right now I would say the easy choice is to go with one of the guys at Kentucky just because it makes sense, just because we know Kentucky's going to win a lot of games and they're going to have an opportunity you know to get to a final four i just think it's just a matter of seeing how the team meshes together and and builds that chemistry which is the the case every single using every single season with a young team like that so thanks for the question brandon really appreciate it and as for the next question it comes from mike Patton. he's on twitter 
at general underscore MP. He does some great writing work. Be sure to check out Mike's stuff. I had a chance to finally meet him this year at the OVC tournament. Uh, great dude, so be sure to check out his stuff there on Twitter. Uh, and Mike asks about the role that, uh, I guess the guy I'm going to call the forgotten man. Uh, that is Winion Gabriel at Kentucky. What is going to be his role on the team this season? And, and it's so weird, you know, when you think about it, because there's always a guy from a very talented group like that that comes back at Kentucky and it's almost like you forget about him. You know, people just kind of forget that he's there when you think about all the new freshmen that are coming in. They are the ones that get all the attention. But, you know, it would be a shame to, to overlook the player like Gabriel because you look at what he did last season, and, and again, people are going to forget that because they had De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Bam Adebayo. Those were the guys that got all the attention and rightfully so, but when you look at his numbers last year, he played 18 minutes a game. Um, you know, he averaged five points, five rebounds, and, you know, th- there's going to be minutes for him on this team, I think, in terms of, you know, meshing into this group of freshmen, uh, playing a key role, because look, when you're a guy that's, you know, play, you know, he's 6'9", he's, he's very long and athletic, um, he's going to, to get opportunities. I don't think there's any doubt about that in terms of, you know, just being able to be on the floor with this group. And, and look, this is a young team. This is going to be Calipari's youngest team he's had there at Kentucky. So you're going to need a guy like that. And it's funny that we're saying the sophomore guy is going to have to be a, a huge leader on this team, but he is. I mean, he's going to have to, you know, kind of help some of these guys come along and and really kind of grow into their potential. And for someone that started 23 games last year, uh, played a key role in a lot of big moments. Uh, he he's going to definitely play a a significant spot on this team, and he's going to be a person that you look at and say, okay, how does his game evolve? If his game continues to evolve, you throw that in with all of these other young guys that we already know uh, have a ton of potential, a ton of talent. That's just going to give Kentucky an added bonus, really, because he is, you know, again, he's he's the forgotten man. He's the one that people have to remember. You know, coming back, he's got a lot of good skills, and he's going to have a chance to, to have a big year, I think. So thanks for the question, Mike. Always appreciate it. Next question comes from Mr. David Sisk, and he is on Twitter, at Coach David Sisk. Be sure to follow David as well. David does a great job. Uh, he does work over at VandySports.com, does a lot of recruiting stuff, uh, and he also appears on our Marching to Madness podcast um he he comes on there does a lot of recruiting stuff as well so be sure to check that out uh and here's what david has to ask about and it's uh, a question that you know it's one that i think a lot of people are very intrigued by how many bids in the league this year uh and david also asked about the hot seat coaches but we've taken care of that one so how many bids in the ncaa tournament for the sec this year listen i'm telling you right now that the more i look at this the more I think it's not out of the realm of possibility for the SEC to get seven teams to the NCAA tournament. I just think the top half of the league is going to be as strong as it's been in a long, long time. Uh, When you talk about all the makeup of these teams and and all the talent, the SEC is going to have an opportunity to get seven in. Will that happen? I don't know. You know, you could have six safely into the field. You could have one in the play-in game, something like that. Any, Any sort of variety of that I think is possible. Um, and here's another reason why, you know, I think because the RPI, 
you're going to have strong play, strong teams playing strong teams. It's going to help the RPI. And we're seeing these SEC teams start to schedule tougher and tougher out of conference. Obviously, adding the SEC or the Big 12 SEC challenge uh, helps because you get an opportunity. You know, 10 teams in the conference get an opportunity to play a, a game that's probably going to help their RPI in some form. Um, so I just think that the tougher scheduling is definitely helping. It's getting these teams prepared for March. We saw that with Florida, uh, especially Florida. You know, Florida played one of the toughest schedules in the country last year, and we saw it pay off in getting to the Elite Eight. South Carolina the same way. South Carolina played a lot of tough teams, and it paid off. Um, you know, and obviously Kentucky was in that mix as well and getting to the Elite Eight. But uh, and Kentucky's schedule is never a slouch either. I mean, Kentucky always plays tough. Because we know they're going to get you know good games out of conference this year in that that Big 12 SEC challenge. They're at West Virginia, so I just think that there's going to be a lot of teams in the mix. And like I said, I, I do not think it's a stretch in any form or fashion to believe that the SEC could get seven teams in. I just think the league is that good, and it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to sort of see how it plays out and how many teams could potentially be sitting on that bubble when we hit March uh, because, you know, the conference tournament especially could be a lot of fun because, like I said, there could be two or three teams that, that could be among that mix for that sixth, seventh spot that, you know, have work to do, and it's going to see kind of how it plays out once we get there. But a lot of potential, and uh, the NCAA tournament will definitely be well represented uh, within the SEC, I think, this upcoming season. So thanks, David, as always, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon here on the Southeast Hoops podcast and on the Marching to Madness podcast. All right, and the last question for the mailbag comes from the name on the account is A Nice Taco, and listen, there's no one that loves a nice taco more than I do. Uh, so I appreciate the question there, uh, Mr. Taco. And, you know, I think his question is, can Auburn make the NCAA tournament? And quite frankly, yes, they can. And I've talked about Auburn a lot. Um, he, you know, Auburn's just a team that, that has a lot of potential. And, you know, like I've said before, just are they going to play defense? If they play defense, Auburn's a team that's going to be in the tournament. I, I really believe that. When we see the the progression of Austin Wiley, uh, we see all these other talented players around him, Mustafa Heron, Dangel Purifoy, the young talent coming in, Chumo Kiki. Uh, Auburn's got a lot of potential. And, and Auburn has the chance to make that leap they've been waiting on for a while there, and they have a chance to make that leap this year. So, yes, Auburn can absolutely make the tournament. They've just got to make sure that defense is a top priority this season because they already have enough offense. So, all right, guys, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Southeast Hoops podcast and part two of this week's mailbag. Uh, listen, you guys were awesome with these questions. Did a great job sending all these in. Uh, great response, and we will continue to do this throughout the off season. Uh, may do it weekly, may do it bi-weekly, not sure yet, but we will continue to have the discussion going here on the Southeast Hoops podcast. And like I said, when we started this thing on Monday, uh, this will be Monday through Friday throughout the off season into next season. Uh, so we're going to keep the discussion rolling on SEC basketball, and it is going to be a fun year uh, around the Southeast as we see all these really good teams step onto the floor and watch these programs grow. It's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks as always for listening to the Southeast Hoops podcast, and I will talk to you guys in tomorrow's episode. <laughs>